Back in the 1990s, I don't know how many of you heard about the Jesus Seminar, but when I heard about it, it was quite disturbing, because in this Jesus Seminar, supposedly there was this big group of scholars that gathered together claiming to be Christian scholars, and what they were attempting to do was evaluate Jesus' words we find in the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and it was, it was sad as they were picking it apart. Like they somehow had the authority to determine, well, Jesus may have said this phrase. He definitely didn't say that. Oh, he, he definitely said this. And, uh, you know, and there, was, there was this various range, and they used colors to determine, did Jesus say this? He may have said this, probably didn't say this, and definitely didn't say this. And one of the leaders in that group of so-called Christian scholars said this. Listen, this is disturbing because he said, it is irrelevant whether or not the tomb was empty. Of course, he's referring to Jesus too. Irrelevant, he says. He goes on to say, whether Easter involved something remarkable is irrelevant to him. For a lot of people today, and in fact, I was just having a conversation this morning about this various thing. What is Easter, and what does it mean to people? Somebody's already had a text today from their mother. Celebrating chocolate. Easter is about chocolate for some people. A sugar rush. Is that all Easter is about, just a sugar rush? You know, a tingling sensation on your tongue that sends these waves to your brain. Is that all? Wow, I, I, I hope not for you. I don't think it is, or else why would you be here? So let's talk about Christ's resurrection. And we really need to start with this. The importance of Christ's resurrection. Why is this important? What does it mean for you, for others? And so as we think about the importance of Christ's resurrection, I want to start with this. It's important to Christ's person. In other words, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then he is a liar. <laughs> because he himself predicted that he would die, would be crucified, buried, and rise again. But we know the resurrection authenticates Jesus Christ as a true prophet and as a son of God. And notice what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. As he talks about Jesus here in Romans 1, 4, he says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul understood the power of Christ's resurrection. Jesus claimed, notice, he declared himself to be the Son of God. That's, that means... He's claiming to be God, full deity. So, if he did not rise from the dead, then he's clearly a liar, and he's clearly not God. So, that alone makes it important. Number two, the, the importance of the resurrection is seen here also to Christ's work. Not just his person, but also his work. So, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then he obviously wouldn't be alive 
today to carry on his, his post-resurrection ministries. See, Christ's ministry hasn't ended with the resurrection. Uh, I'll give you just a few examples the Bible talks about, and you can turn over to Romans 6. Turn to Romans 6. So we, we see in other places of Scripture that uh, if it wasn't for a resurrected Christ, then we would not have a high priest today. We would not have an intercessor, whoever lives to intercede for us. We would not have, as John, the Apostle John said, an advocate before the Father. We would not have the head of the church. And Paul here, notice what he says about Christ's resurrection. Chapter 6, Romans 6, starting in verse 1. As he's explained the gospel in the previous chapters, then he moves on to sanctification. Notice what he says here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. My friend, do you see the connection between Christ's work and how that has an effect even on us. His ministry continues on in our lives, even in a, the sanctification process, because He lives. He arose from the grave. Let's also think about it in relation, importance of Christ's resurrection to the gospel itself. You can turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, there is no good news. You have no hope. You're hopeless. Uh, And Paul declares what the gospel is, this good news here. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So there's your good news. There's your gospel. It's full of hope because Christ arose. The importance of Christ's resurrection also has an impact for, for Christians. See, if Christ didn't rise, then Corinthians is telling us our witness is false. Our faith is without meaningful content. Our, our prospects for the future are hopeless. Look what verse 13 says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. For we... We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Well, is that you? Are you to be pitied? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, because you have hope. Because Christ did come out of that tomb. So, you see the importance in just four areas there. It's, it has, it's, it's important to the very person and work of Christ, to the gospel itself, and even to Christians. So let's talk now about the nature of Christ's resurrection. What is the nature of Christ's resurrection? There's a lot of debate on, on, on this. These, it continues on even in, to today. First of all, you need to note that Christ actually died. Uh, to talk about the resurrection, you need to have a death. Now, some people don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they say that, for example, Christ just merely fainted. He didn't actually die. And, and so some of these people say that there was this cool air within the tomb that somehow revived Jesus. You know, he got a little cold. And so he wakes up, and he somehow walks out of the tomb. And so if you've heard that, theory, well, that that theory is just shattered by lots of evidence. It's destroyed by lots of evidence. Let me just tell you some of them, okay? Hopefully you know these. Uh, For example, well, Paul tells us, you know, Christ appeared to lots of people. Lots and lots of people. In fact, look at verse 6 in this text here. It says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Over 500 people saw Jesus. And by the way, when they saw Jesus, what what kind of physical health was he in? Did did they see some half-dead guy walking around who who has just come out of some stupor? You know, he was crucified, and he's he's a little cold after being in the tomb, and so that woke him up. You know, he's lost a lot of blood, right? So he's really tired, right? Is that how they saw him? No, of course not. He's not half-dead. He came out of that tomb a conquering king, triumphant over death in the grave. There's no way he could have made a good impression on anybody if he had presented some picture of someone who was just sick and half dead, just barely able to make it around. Right? No, that's not, that's not the picture we see. Well, how do we know Christ actually died? Well, the Roman soldiers pronounced Jesus dead. These were professional executors. They knew when someone was dead and when someone was not. And you say, well, how do, we, how do we know? Well, the Scripture says they didn't break his legs. They didn't bother breaking the legs of someone who was already dead. The purpose of breaking the legs was to hasten their death. The Bible specifically gives us that information that Jesus' legs were not broken, but the two guys next to Jesus were. And then in, we, we, we see in the Gospel according to John that the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus, and the Bible specifically says what came forth from Jesus' side was blood and water mixed. Again, showing a condition that death had taken place. Uh, We also read in Scripture, Joseph of Arimathea asked permission to bury a dead body. (laughs) 
You don't bury someone who's alive. Uh, they, they knew. And he wouldn't have received the body if he was still alive. Because, remember, Pilate, the, the governor of that region, had asked uh, the centurion if Christ was dead. The centurion's answer in Mark 15 was, yes, he is dead. <laughs> so, therefore, he was given permission to bury the body. Uh, the women Mark mentioned in the gospel accounts also knew Jesus was dead. They're coming with burial spices to anoint Jesus' dead body. Uh, the, the list, we could just keep going and going here, but there is so much evidence showing that Jesus was actually dead. It's, it's, it's a mountain. It's a lot. And so we also need to understand, number two, that Christ's body was then as a result of his death, was actually then raised from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ is not just a spiritual resurrection, like some liberals have said. Uh, the appearance to his disciples was not a spiritual manifestation. The Bible is clear it's a bodily manifestation. He appeared to his disciples in a bodily form. They could see him, touch him. They ate with him. So the body that was laid in Joseph's tomb came forth there on that first Easter morning. It was a, it was, it was a body. And he came forth in victory. And how could we be sure? Well, you say, is this a blind faith? No. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. There, there's so much evidence. <clears throat> for example, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. The gospel accounts tell us that over and over again, that the tomb is empty. And so this truth testified here over and over by witnesses. By the way, not just Jesus' friends. The gospel accounts tell us of Jesus' enemies declaring this truth. The religious leaders of Israel declared this truth. The Roman authorities declared that the tomb was empty. And so how how do we account for the empty tomb? Well, some people would say, well, the body of Jesus was stolen. But that can't be true because, again, read Matthew 28, you see the soldiers were paid money to tell this false account. Why would you pay them money? Well, they needed to go tell lies. Well, Normally guards would never be uh, uh, allowed to have prisoners do this sort of thing. Um, you know, you can't go and just steal. That wasn't supposed to be happening. Uh, their lives were at stake. You know, if, if they're supposed to be guarding something and, they've, and, and they're not doing their duty, they're in trouble, right? And so the condition, it's interesting, condition of the linen clause in the tomb show that Christ's body was not stolen. Interesting. Read, read very carefully. Why would robbers come into a tomb steal a body and, and bother folding the linen claws and leaving them there in the tomb. You ever had anything stolen in your house? Thieves come in? I've seen this happen many times. It's, it's happened when I grew up. The house was a mess. They trashed the place, throwing stuff everywhere, looking for anything that they considered valuable. That's what thieves do. No, this wasn't thieves. The linen cloth was folded showing you this was purposeful. We also have the testimony of the angels 
to the fact that Christ had risen. The angels are stating that fact. So the tomb was empty. Number two, no one can steal Christ's soul. It wasn't his soul that came forth from the tomb. It was a body. So if Christ did not have a body, then why did the officers say that they were afraid that the disciples would come by night and steal him away? Well, there's no way they could steal his soul. Can't do that. It's not physical. Another point, number three, is those who saw Christ after the resurrection recognized him as having the same body as he had before his death. Uh, The difference is, Scripture tells us Jesus had scars. He had scars. Uh, For example, look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 27. John 20, 27. So Jesus here speaking after resurrection. John 20, 27. He said to Thomas, one of his disciples, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Notice verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Why would Thomas respond that way for something that was a lie? He understood that. And by the way, History tells us that Thomas went all the way to India with the gospel and died for this faith. He didn't die for a lie. So Jesus clearly had scars showing this truth. Number four, the apostle Paul believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ. We've just read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul saw Christ, the resurrected Christ when he was on his way to persecute Christians. So clearly he believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ and and lived that out because he believed it. And uh, the Apostle Peter also believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Let me just read a couple verses from 1 Peter chapter 1. So you can see how Peter believed this truth. 1 Peter 1. Notice what Peter says in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Notice what Peter says. It's through... The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice what Peter says in verse 21. 21. He says, Who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glories, so that your faith and hope are in God. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. (laughs) Over and over again, Peter's declaring this truth. Chapter 3, 21. Baptism, he says, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal of God for a good conscience 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. And Peter died for this faith as well, by the way. He knew it was not a lie. We also note that the appearances of Christ prove a physical, literal resurrection. So Christ could actually be seen. He could be touched. He could be heard. He was handled. Uh, They ate with Him. They drank with Him in, in His presence. Lots of witnesses did that. And so these are all things, of course, that bodies can do. Bodies eat, drink, so forth, talk. Many, many examples of that. And then after His resurrection, Christ gave testimony to His bodily resurrection. I'll give you one that I love. Revelation. Last book in your Bible, Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look, this this is what Jesus says. Revelation 1.18. Talks about this living one, who is Jesus, by the way. Says, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Oh, amen. Yeah. That's Jesus giving testimony there to his own resurrection. Well, another point needs to be made is Christ's body was just more than a mere natural body. You say, how do we know that? Well, John talks about it in chapter 20 where. Jesus was able to pass through doors that were locked. That's not something you and I could do. So it shows that His his resurrected glorious body was was somehow different. In the ascension, we see Him ascending into heaven. So He could pass through doors. Christ's resurrection body was immortal. We just read here Revelation 1.18. It's immortal. Did you, did you see that? He says, I am alive forevermore. Alive forevermore. So Christ's current body, did you know he still has a body? Some people <laughs> kind of don't, don't, they don't get that for some reason. So the God-man is still the God-man. Christ didn't return to his pre-incarnate state. He still maintains body form. So he is God and man, two natures in one person forever. And so Christ's current body can't die. That's important for us to note. So let's let's, let's come back here to to the evidence for Christ's resurrection. A lot of evidence for Christ's resurrection. For example, Christ appeared here in 1 Corinthians 15 to at least 500 people after his resurrection. There's a lot of people mentioned there. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Some of the people are mentioned, not all 500. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, it says he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at that time, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says here, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. A lot of evidence for the resurrection. And so there are effects from the resurrection that then have to have a cause. 
the resurrection was, well, let me just dive into it here. The, the empty tomb was, a, was an effect. But we have to ask the question, what caused the tomb to be empty? The tomb was empty. That's the effect. We, we, we see the results. But what, but what caused that? Christ had to rise. Christ had to conquer death. So the empty tomb was an effect. But the coming of the Holy Spirit was an effect. Coming of the Holy Spirit was an effect. You say, well, what caused the events that happened on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2. What, what happened there? Well, the year when Christ rose, Pentecost saw this dissension of the Holy Spirit, just as Christ had promised, by the way. Christ said, when I, when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. The Apostle Peter attributed the coming of the Spirit here to the fact that the risen Christ sent the Holy Spirit. He came as a result of Christ sending Him. So the coming of the Spirit's the effect. Well, it had to have had a sufficient cause. That means Christ had to rise. And it's addressed here in Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts 1, verse 5. The Bible tells us what was the sufficient cause of this. Acts 1, verse 5. Acts 1, 5 says this, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's Jesus speaking. Now look look what happens in chapter 2, verse 33. Chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So that's the result. That's Peter's speaking in his sermon. That's the effect. The, 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 sorry, the cause of the effect. Uh, another thing to think about is we think about effects having a cause, is worship on the Lord's day changed. Why are you not a Seventh-day Adventist? Why are you here on Sunday? Is it because you worship a false god or, you know, I don't know, something else? No, worship on the Lord's day is, is actually an effect of the resurrection. What caused the day of worship to change? Well, even, even people who were former Jews... Believed in the Sabbath? They, they changed their day of worship. Most of the first Christians were Jews, of course, and they were accustomed to worshiping on their Friday night to Saturday night. But yet they suddenly and, and just uniformly began worshiping on Sunday. That became their ordinary day, ordinary day of worship. Why? Because of the resurrection of Christ. It was on Sunday morning. This is why we call this Resurrection Sunday. And so they changed their day of worship to Sunday. That was an effect. Effects need a cause. The cause is the resurrection of Christ. We also see that Christian churches are even affected. The Christian church itself is an effect of the resurrection. See, the church is an institution that God has created. 
And this would, well, ask yourself this. What would this world be without the church? Where did this institution actually come from? It, it's, it's gone global, if you will. It, it, what is an effect here? It, well, it's an effect, I should say, but what's the cause? Well, when Christ appeared to his discouraged disciples, remember after his death and he was buried, disciples were discouraged. They needed their faith revived. So they, they were. And they went forth. What caused them to go forth with great power and boldness and, and zeal? Well, it was, they saw the risen Lord. And so the preaching of his life, death, resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again uh, was powerful because they knew it was real. They saw him. And so as a result, people believed the teachings. Many did come to faith in Christ. Churches were established. People gathered together to study the scriptures, to pray, to worship God. And so that's how the church came into existence. Read the book of Acts. Many, the gospel just spreads. More and more churches being established. And, and the book of Acts ends with the gospel going to Rome. Even people in Caesar's own household coming to Christ. Its cause was the resurrection of Christ. The New Testament is also an effect of the resurrection of Christ. See, if Christ had remained buried in that tomb... The story of his life and his death we read about would, would have just remained buried with Jesus. Nothing really to write about and talk about, is there? New Testament is actually an effect of Christ's resurrection. Well, that brings great doctrinal significance. This is real. It's important. It actually happened. And so with this, the, the writers of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, show us some very significant things coming out of Christ's resurrection. I just want to highlight a few here for you. Number one, Christ's resurrection ensures regeneration for believers. How do you know you're regenerated? Well, what is regeneration? Let's start there. What is regeneration? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what He does is He creates in a believer a new life. Uh, you, you go from being a sinful person who is now repenting and, and, and coming to believe in Christ, who He is and what He's done. Peter, again, he addresses this. We just read it. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, where he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He, God, that's God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So look at that verse, because Peter's explicitly connecting Christ's resurrection with a Christian's regeneration, or in other words, a Christian's new birth. Jesus talked about that in John 3, where he said, you must be born again. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a new quality of life. His body wasn't exactly the same this new body was perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience with God and in heaven forever. And so in His resurrection, Jesus then earned for us a new life. 
just like his own. However, we don't receive all of that new resurrection life when we become Christians. My, My physical body hasn't changed now that I'm a Christian. Our bodies remain as they were. We're, I'm I'm still subject to aging. Trust me, I feel it every day. (laughs) So do you. You're changing. Keep looking in the mirror. You'll see those changes. You feel those changes. And death is going to come to all of us one day unless the Lord returns. So in our spirits, though, the Bible says we're made alive. We have new resurrection power. And so it's through Christ's resurrection that He earns for us a new kind of life, which described here as being born again, new birth. Paul talks about this in places like Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. So there's this connection. Between Christ's death and resurrection, what, what that means for a believer. And so it, it's ensuring regeneration for the believer that, hey, this is what happened to Christ, and so this is what can happen to you. If you're a Christian, this is what has happened to you. Also, think about this. Here's another doctrinal significance, that Christ's resurrection ensures justification for believers. In other words, you can be declared righteous before God. So He no longer sees you as a sinner, but He sees Christ's righteousness in you. So remember, justification is this legal declaration from the the judge of the universe saying, you're not guilty, but you have the righteousness of Christ. And so that's good news. Look what... Romans 4, verse 25 says here about this. It says, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. So when Christ was raised from the dead, understand this, my friend, that God was showing His approval of Christ's work. He's saying, I accept my son's sacrifice. So by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father is is basically, in effect, saying He's approving of the the, the work, the suffering, and the, the, the dying for sin. His work was completed. And Christ no longer had any need to remain dead because it is finished. And so there's no penalty left for sin. No more wrath of God that needed to to be put on Jesus. No more liability to be to, to, for punishment. That was taken care of. All had been completely paid for. There's no more guilt remaining. See, in the resurrection, God is saying to Christ, I approve of what you have done, my son. I find favor with you and, and what you've done. And so this explains how Paul then can say that Christ was raised for our justification. See, if God raises us up with Christ, then there's the, by virtue of the union with Christ, God's declaring His approval of you. Not, not because of you, but because of Christ. A third doctrinal significance is that 
Christ's resurrection ensures believers will receive perfect resurrection bodies. Do you long for immortality? Does death scare you? It shouldn't as a believer because Christ arose from the grave and ensures you will have a perfect resurrection body if you're a believer. You will be immortal one day. Here are some scriptures that prove this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says that God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. Well, let's look at the probably the most extensive discussion on resurrection is here in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Well, we don't have time to read the whole thing. Uh, I, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter, but very extensive discussion. If you haven't done that yet already this morning or sometime last week in building to Easter, let me encourage you, read through the whole chapter. If you haven't done that yet, take this afternoon to do that. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We can keep reading. But but here's the point, my friend. Paul's saying Christ, if you read on, he talks about Christ being firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So in calling Christ the firstfruits in this text, uh, later on, Paul's using a a metaphor that's coming from agriculture. Uh, The idea there is indicating that we will be like Christ, in other words. It doesn't mean that Christ was the first to be resurrected, but he's the firstfruits, and And the truth carries on to us today. So Christ's resurrection body is ensuring something for Christians that they too will receive a perfect resurrection body and will be immortal. Number four, Christ's resurrection assures believers that we have an interceding high priest. In other words, His work continues on our behalf. I love what Romans 8, verse 34 says. It says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In other words, he's he he, as you pray, he's there. The Bible talks about him being at the Father's right hand. And so as you pray to God the Father, Christ is there, enabling you. To, to have this conversation with God the Father. See, salvation was 
not completed at the cross. That's important, don't get me wrong. But there's still need of a daily forgiveness. The accusations of Satan still need to be answered. The Bible describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. And the good news is, my friend, we have a high priest. Read 1 John chapter 2. We have a high priest, the advocate, who prays constantly for us, as he said he would in his high priestly prayer of John 17. He constantly prays for you. Your faith will not fail. So if you make it to the end with your faith still intact, it's because of Christ. So what does this mean in application? Oh, there's some great applications. Let me just give you a few. So we see here, this after this very long discussion on the resurrection, look at verse 58. Just one, one application to think about. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Again, coming after a very long chapter on the resurrection, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, my friend, it is not empty. It is not hopeless. It is not meaningless. So here's the first application. Is, is you Think about the resurrection of Christ. We see because Christ was raised from the dead, we then should continue steadfastly in the Lord's work. You say, well, what's the Lord's work? Paul mentions it here. What is that? Well, it would at least include evangelism. It goes beyond that. Uh, so, you, my friend, you, you realize the Great Commission is, is more than evangelism. Matthew 28, the command is to make disciples. You, you, how do you make disciples? You do that by going. You do that by baptizing. You do that by teaching all of Christ's commands. That is a long, ongoing process so we're to make disciples of christ that's all part of the lord's work a second application is this that because christ was raised from the dead then we're to focus on our future heavenly reward that that's not a sin by the way to, to think about the future see paul saw the resurrection as a time when all the struggles of life would be repaid just think of all the things that Paul went through. Horrible things. What got him through that? Well, it was his mindset, a heavenly mindset. Paul talks about that over and over. Here, here's just one example. In Colossians 3, verse 1, Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What, what's motivating Paul? What's keeping Paul going? I mean, how, how can this guy endure shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and you know, sleeping out outside at night and starving and everything else he dealt with. This is it, my friend. This is one of the things. He's not focusing on this life, but the life to come. And so should we. We need to focus on our future 
heavenly reward. Number three, last one to think about here, is because Christ was raised from the dead, we need to stop yielding to sin in our lives. Stop yielding to sin. See, Romans says we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. Look at Romans 6. Romans 6 tells us this truth. Stop yielding to sin. Consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But how? Notice what the text says. Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sins as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Wow. How is that possible? How how do I consider and believe, actually believe, that I am dead to sin? I I don't have to obey the old master. The old master is going to keep coming at you The old master is going to say, obey me. (laughs) Here, do this. Don't do that. The old master is going to try to get you to think his way. He's going to try to get you to yield to sin. Go astray. So what's going to keep you from the old master and his way doing things? See, my friend, Romans 6 is telling us you need to know and believe a, a glorious truth that you don't have to obey the old master. You don't have to. You don't have to obey that You have because you have a new master. See, Jesus dealt with the old master. And so now you have a new master who is Jesus. And Jesus says, obey me. I'm a good master. What's our problem, though? The old, the old master sin and our sin nature and Satan, this world, you know, comes knocking on our door and saying, hey, hey, look at this. This is nice over here. You, you really like this. Come, come with me, right? And, and, and we listen to the old master and we start looking and getting distracted and stop looking at Jesus and, oh, yeah, you know, that, that is kind of nice. Hmm. I'm having a hard time seeing Jesus because he's not here. He's in heaven. Hmm. Oh, but I can see that over there. Mm, smells good, looks good, tastes good, whatever, you know, using your senses. Instead of faith is the evidence of things hoped for. <laughs> so we get distracted. The old master comes knocking, we listen, we sometimes obey. We forget the good master, the good shepherd who came and lived the perfect life for you died the perfect death in your place, and who rose from the grave, whoever lives now to intercede for you, and is one day coming for you. And all believers will get to live with Him forever in heaven. Why not obey Him now? See, that's one of the beauties of the resurrection, is we can obey Him. He made it possible for us to, to obey Him instead of... Whereas before, as an unbeliever, you have no choice. All you do is serve the old master. Now he's saying, serve him. My friend, 
Do you believe this glorious truth of the resurrection? If you do, it's because God has opened your spiritual eyes for you to believe this. And so may you continue to believe this. May this truth ever reign throughout your whole life and have these kind of effects upon you. But my friends, some may not have believed this. Some of you don't know Jesus. Some of you may not believe what he has done. Maybe you do know this and just haven't put your trust in Christ alone. Maybe there's just something inside you that's saying, you know, okay, I see that, but, but uh, wow, man, that's humbling. And I'm proud, so I'm, I'm going to kind of mix Jesus with my own good works. <laughs> that's, our, that's our temptation. And it's, it's, it's hard to just go 100% Jesus. You know, may, maybe part Jesus and part me. That's the temptation. My friend, you, you have to relinquish that in order to have full faith in Christ, to have eternal life. It's all Jesus. But Christian friend, I, I know this struggle. We, we continue this way. We continue with the struggle. Which master are we going to serve? So my friend, you have resurrection power. You do. The question is, do you believe it? You say, well, how do I know if I believe it? It's, what do you live? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you continually serving Christ, obeying Christ? That shows what you really believe. So my friend, I pray the Holy Spirit would cause you to believe this so that we would, we would live this glorious truth out. We would share this glorious truth with others who need to know what Easter is all about. It's not about chocolate. <laughs> and it's not irrelevant that the tomb is empty. It is totally relevant. Far more important than whether the chocolate egg is empty, that's for sure. So my friend, may God cause us to believe these truths and to live them out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for showing these to us here in Scripture and for giving us your Spirit that would cause us to, to be taught through the Word and to understand, to open our spiritual eyes, that we would see this. We would know it and believe it and act upon it. We look forward to the day when we'll not just see with spiritual eyes, but even our physical eyes will see and we will be changed. We will be immortal. The culmination of eternal life will come about. So may we share this glorious truth. May we not hoard it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.